0: or some 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 sort of group that you can create that has like-minded people coming together just like in the hive talking about an issue that is relevant in their community and talking about solutions and problem solving about how we can fix that
1: this is a life in motion audio experience a podcast about travel action sports culture and more What's up and welcome to episode 85 of Life in Motion. I've got Carolyn Shamanix with me from Ideas for Us. Their mission is to develop ideas, fun action, and also scale solutions to the world's most pressing environmental challenges. I'm excited to learn how they're able to make a positive impact on our environment. Carolyn, thanks for being on the show today.
0: Hi, thank you for having me.
1: Yes, yes. I'm excited to learn more about what you're doing. I know it's kind of a um, it seems at least like you all have a a large impact, um, and footprint. So I'm excited to kind of get into that, but before we do, let's take some time, uh, to be selfish and talk a little bit about yourself, you know, uh, where you grew up, um, hobbies you had growing up, kind of what led you into this lifestyle and then ultimately into, you know, working with this nonprofit.
0: Yeah, totally. So, um, I grew up in Orlando, Florida. Um, I had moved there from from Fort Lauderdale um, because um, my dad actually was one of the designers of the Spider Man ride at Universal. Well, that's pretty so, awesome. Right? <laughs> yeah, so that took us um, to Orlando when I was about seven, and I've you know lived there ever since. And um, you know we grew up camping and playing outside, playing in the dirt, climbing trees. You know, a typical childhood that has to do, uh, you know, kind of centered around being outside. Um, But it really wasn't until I was about 20 years old, um, I'm 29 now, um, that I discovered a love for growing plants and horticulture. Um, I have a a kind of interesting lucky story where in my neighborhood, there was this old botanical garden that um, back in the 1800s was used as kind of like a horticultural mecca um, run by uh, Dr. Henry Neerling. And he was a famous botanist or anthologist naturalist who hybridized different types of palms. Um, he brought the Gloriosa Lily into our environment. He brought um, different types of cycads and um, Palladiums was one of the big ones that he um, hybridized and brought into the ornamental scene uh, in in, um, Florida and later the United States. And um, I was riding my bike one day with my best friend and we saw this um, lake. We decided to sit at the lake and meditate. And um, I know it sounds corny, but that day, I really believed that my life was going to change. And on the way home, um, we, we always pass by this forest and um, we decided to ride our bikes into the forest on this day. And it turns out that it was the front yard of this really old, beautiful 1880s house. Um, it was a, a white house with a, a separate breezeway and kitchen and garage unit. Um, and the caretaker was standing in the front yard and he, asked us if we wanted a tour of the seven acres. And we said yes, because we were just amazed that we had never found this. We never trespassed. Why didn't we trespass earlier? I don't know. (laughs) Um, And he led us on this tour of this amazing garden. And at that time, there was a lot of invasive plants. Um, It kind of was uh, a little bit of a jungle, Um, but I was obsessed with the fact that the caretaker knew every single plant, the genus, the species, and there was just so much color and so much life, and it even backed up to a beautiful waterway that was ecologically restored with winged sumac and wild blackberries, and I just absolutely fell in love and I knew from that day on that I wanted to study plants and that I wanted to to live there um he told me that uh you know he was staying there uh, in exchange for him doing gardening work he was staying there for free and he was leaving at the end of the month and they were looking for a caretaker to take over the seven acres of the botanical garden and uh to live there upstairs um in a little apartment and um I somehow convinced them that with (laughs) pretty much no
1: experience
0: (laughs) that me and my brother, um, were the best people for the job. And so, uh, that week we moved into Neerland gardens upstairs, um, in this beautiful 1880s house. Um, and you know, the original bathtub is there and there's just so much history and you can feel it when you're there. And, um, from then I, realized there was a lot to learn and I signed up for a horticulture school at the nearby community college and um, I spent years living there and uh, I started an educational program and I just really really wanted to create and to grow and to learn and uh, my brother studied horticulture alongside with me so I had a a buddy to do it and um, so through that um, I was there for four years my brother's still there to this day (laughs) Kind of a really sweet gig um, when you're learning about plants, and even you know, uh, now he's a professional horticulturalist um, as well as I am. And uh, it's a really magical place to grow food and grow native plants and see the historic genome of plants that Henry Neerling himself grew and cultivated. And so, from there, um, I got an internship from my school at a local farm that I would ride my bike to, and um, it was an edible farm. And uh, I met a friend who introduced me to the idea of the fleet farming program. And um, I, at that point, didn't have much experience growing food. My experience was more in ornamentals and native plants. Um, and so I, again, convinced fleet farming that without no job posting, I was the perfect person for the job. And if they had anything, please contact me. I would love to get into it. And, uh, they said they didn't have anything. And then later on, they, when they did, they said, Hey, we know that you have a horticulture degree and this experience over a thousand hours volunteering at nearly gardens. Um, what do you want to join our fleet farming team? And so from then on, I, um, started fleet farming, you know, admittedly getting paid super little, but I treated it like a full-time job and alongside different team members and, um, And I created a a really great internship program um, alongside our our nonprofit team um, that really helped us to get to the next level. We started a landscaping service. We just started to innovate and just to create more and more. I taught myself accounting. I taught myself grant writing. And my first grant um, was with Lush Cosmetics. And um, I fundraised $17,000. Wow. And that was like a game changer for us. And so um, since then, uh, 2015, um, I, you know, uh, grew all these different skills that the main nonprofit executive team saw as something that they wanted for the whole nonprofit, not just the fleet farming agriculture program that grows, um, turns lawns into farms by bicycle in Audubon Park in Florida. Um, They saw me as something that, I could help with our global programming and projects across Florida. And so um, I grew from that position to chief administration officer, still running fleet farming. And then now I'm the chief operations officer um, of the nonprofit, as well as um, remaining the fleet farming program director. So that's a, a little bit about how, um, I got started with
1: everything. That's, that's quite a story. And, and it sounds like you're a, a real go-getter uh, for sure with that. Um, and you know, who knows, you know, the next time that you're, you're riding your bike and you're, you know, sitting by the lake or the pond or whatever, and just, you know, take a little time to yourself, who knows what will happen. Um, so that, that's really interesting. The, the beginning of the story, um you know, you kind of stumbling upon this, this farm going through the forest or not the farm, but the house and whatnot, uh, through the forest as luck, you know, kind of as luck would have it that, you know, the caretaker was going to be going there. Um, so a- as you mentioned, you know, you convinced them, I mean, that was, it sounds like that was really your main start into all of this. Mm-hmm. So how, and you mentioned, you know, you had no experience at that time. How, how did you end up convincing them? Cause I feel like that would be kind of, a challenge in itself just because yeah. <laughs> whoever the owner is, they had this beautiful property. They have all this, these beautiful plants and, and everything kind of that, that have been taken care of. And they've trusted somebody to do that. And then, um, you know, you and your brother come in and obviously you, you, you sparked something in them and did well with yeah. it. But, but what was, what was that kind of like? I'm just curious.
0: Well, I'm a firm believer that, you know, when you speak things into existence you help it to live and to thrive and to you know gain traction and you know to believe in yourself and so i was uh you know i had a backyard garden at my parents house and i used that as my experience i also said you know i'm going to sign up for horticulture school my brother's going to sign up for it too we've been living in this community since we were kids we feel very connected to it um we have time we're you know we're going to school we we just had that that eagerness to, to learn and to be involved with it and to be part of the story. And, you know, um, oftentimes I feel like we, as people, we don't, we doubt ourselves and then we don't even try. We don't even put ourselves out there, but people are always looking for the perfect person to fit that bill. And if you believe that you're that person, you know, Why not speak it into existence? And so I I followed through with everything too. So I was working like with all my being to volunteer there at any time that I could, um, as well as quickly signing up for horticulture school, getting all the books on growing that I possibly can, you know, and the same for my brother. So they saw a future with us. And so I think that's kind of why they decided to take a chance. And thank God they did (laughs) I would not be here if it wasn't for the opportunity.
1: That's, that's cool. And I, I love hearing stories about that when, you know, like you said, you know, you not allowing any doubt in that situation kind of fill your mind and feel like, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to figure out how to do it. And I'm going to make it happen as you did. And obviously how it's progressed over the years, um, and whatnot. And then it sounds so, so when, um, Going, going back to kind of your story when you first started getting involved um, with the the nonprofit and that kind of stuff, obviously, you, you know, you mentioned you were learning accounting and grant writing and all that kind of stuff. So, so when you, when you were at that point where you, were you, or when you were learning those, those skills, I guess I should say the, at some point during your time at that, at that house. Did you start thinking, like, okay, how can, I, how can I make this into something bigger than me, bigger than this house, bigger than that? Like, What, what kind of inspired you to start thinking about, you know, like I said, the business side of things, the grant writing, that kind of stuff, where, where obviously that ended up attracting them to, to help um, with what they were doing?
0: Yeah, so it started with me seeing a need at the gardens for more people to be there. Um, that's kind of why it was a little bit of a jungle at the time was because they needed a lot of help. And how I could bring help there was to start an education program. I, you know, love working with kids. And if I can learn things on a basic kid level, I can teach it to other, you know, people to, to little ones and create a really magical experience for them. And that brought a lot of interest and um, people to the garden. And um, I just discovered that I just like making things, you know, and um, with Grant Wright, well, with the farm that I was interning in, um, they also needed help. They needed help in creating a brand. Um, They needed help in creating a website. They needed help in like, and even like the name of the farm. And so I just, you know, Googled and at that time used Google Docs and just made things and used paint and um, yeah, made whatever I could until I got the job at Fleet Farming that I saw um, a branding toolkit that, um, was created and I was like, oh, that's how to create a brand. Um, and then, um, I, um, I didn't get to read any grants that they wrote. I kind of just went for it. Um, but, um, I, I had some examples to show me that, you know, what I, what was needed and for accounting too, I didn't, I kind of created that. Like I just created a system that would make me feel organized and then just. Googled and saw how other people were doing it and got better and better. And I I think now today in operations, that's one of the things that I love most is just figuring out what the need is, whether it's a need in the community or whether that's a need and how to organize what we're doing. Um, You know, we have some really awesome tools now like Airtable and Canva and Buffer that help us to get organized in those, um, those ways. But um, yeah, it's just been something that I'm always open to learning more information on. And um, yeah, QuickBooks right now is the one that I'm um, working on with in terms of accounting and um, just Googling, honestly, problem solving um, some things. And uh, yeah, it's just a constant thing.
1: That's cool. No, that's cool. You know, you you see Kind of to the beginning of, of your story, you know, you see a problem or a, a need or something, and you just go kind of take it in your own, hand, own hands, whether that be Google or or learning it other ways or anything like that. So that's that's awesome. So um, now to to kind of fast forward with um, ideas for us and and everything, what's what is what is it? What is what is the the mission? You know, kind of what does it all encompass?
0: Yeah, so the mission of Ideas for us is to develop, fund, and scale solutions to solve the world's most pressing environmental challenges. And we do that related to five focus areas. Energy, water, food, waste, and ecology. These help us to identify um, different areas of education and eco-action. That's basically what we do, is monthly eco-education and monthly eco-action. We're an organization that is in 12 countries. Um, In Africa, Asia, Europe, um, and three branches here in Florida. And we are about action and not just advocacy. You know, if we were just about advocacy, um, you know, and if we were just pouring into, you know, bills and different things that uh, on a that we were trying to kind of push the needle on. And then at the end of that, our, our bill doesn't get passed or that kind of advocacy, it would to us feel like we didn't do enough. Like we want to take action, we want boots on the ground. And um, the way that we do that is with our main programming called the Ideas Hive. The Ideas Hive is like a community think tank where people come from um, you know, a really localized area They meet with a subject matter expert to talk about either energy, water, food waste, or ecology. They talk on one of those subjects and they discuss relevant and real um, challenges or innovations that are happening in their direct community. So for instance, um, Fleet Farming, the urban agriculture program we have came out of the hive because the conversation was about food for the month because we switch it around to keep it diverse. Um, and we were talking about how do we have a a food system in an urban environment when we don't have any agriculturally zoned land and the solution was the problem which is lawns and so that's how we started an urban agriculture program just using what we had in the city and today that's you know one of our best programs that we have and so um, this can look like so many different ways um, in so many different you know, areas of the world. Like for instance, in Nepal, their focus really is on waste. They don't have, um, in this certain area that we work, they don't have a lot of public, um, um, public, ut- uh, services related to yeah. like waste. Um, and also, uh, another issue that they have is that there is a stigma against women, um, going to school when they're on their period. Um, oh. it's, culturally not accepted and um, so as a solution, we have funded the um, health health group in Nepal to help with public sanitation as well as we help to um, lead uh, workshops on creating reusable menstrual pads. So we can get girls to be able to go to school even if they're on their period and we help with campaigns to help with um, the stigma being Uh, not believed as much anymore through videos and we have an amazing team in Nepal. But that's just an example that, um, you know, it depends on the area that that we're working in. We have a branch in Uganda who, you know, had a hive to talk about flooding that was happening um, as a result of climate change and it was flooding um, a nearby community. And so the direct action was that we worked with an amazing partner, um, One Tree Planted, to fund um, bamboo plantings along a a waterway that helps to absorb that water, to helps to create structure in the soil to prevent erosion and helps to reduce the flooding of that nearby area. Um, and so just to kind of go into some of the other projects, so energy, we do um, solar energy workforce training programs where um, we teach people how to be solar installers. So when they go to apply for these jobs, whether it's as an installer or sales, they have education to back them, to say, I'm the best person for the jobs, I went through this training. And these trainings are usually not free or very publicly accessible. Um, We also do um, solar energy um, projects where we, you know, install solar panels for, for instance, the pulse mural in Orlando, we helped um, to light that with the use of solar energy. Um, The next thing is water. So we really, really, really want to, especially in Florida, protect water quality um, and of course water conservation. So in water quality, we do um, a lot of cleanups but we also do shoreline plantings. So when you imagine um, in a suburban neighborhood, just a grassy lawn that goes right down into a, a retention pond or a lake, and there's no other native plants around there. There's nothing to help clean the water and the runoff and even the fertilizer from getting into those waterways that causes, you know, eutrophication and causes that cloudiness in the water that prevents plants from growing, which then affects the whole ecosystem of these waterways. So planting native plants and trees not only create habitat, but they help in keeping that water quality at least better than it would be if there was just nothing, just grass, right? Um, When we talk about food, we talk about uh, school gardens. We've created 22 school gardens in central Florida and more across the world. Um, School gardens are a really important way that kids can grow up knowing that they're part of this if I had known this before I was 20 (laughs) years old, I don't even know. I maybe would be friends with, you know, Oprah doing things. So that's what I think we can do is, is getting the kids involved specifically with the food system because food involves everybody. It doesn't matter what political stance you have. Food is for everyone. And it should be something that everyone is participating in like a lot of European countries that are already, they've been doing this for a long time and, and other places of the world um, that I've visited. Um, and then just really quickly waste. We do a lot of waste cleanups. We also do waste audits of businesses. So we will go into the dumpster suited up, you know, with a with the whole works. And good old we'll dumpster dissect, diving. <laughs> yes. The good old dumpster diving. Yeah. We learned that from our friend, Rob Greenfield. He is uh, <laughs> our dumpster diving friend. Um, but we dissected the dumpster and we showed the business owner, Hey, th- these are all the things that are in in properly being disposed that could be recycled, but also here's all the things that you really don't need to buy. So, if you could maybe switch to other products that are, you know, like in uh, price, that wouldn't be as detrimental to our environment. Because, again, just like food, waste is something that we're all contributing to. Um, And, of course, composting workshops and all of that um, educational-wise is uh, action projects that we can do. And then the last one is ecology. And ecology is near and dear to my heart because I just, like so many other people, you're probably listening, I love plants and animals so much. And it truly, truly concerns me about the number of animals that are, you know, becoming endangered or threatened or going extinct. Our biodiversity is, you know, really uh, decreasing right now. And uh, a lot of that is due to habitat destruction, right? And so with ecology, um, one of the best things we can do to even fight climate change is to plant trees, to plant native trees, even native fruiting trees to go above and beyond on that, Um, as well as engaging in different types of native landscaping projects. If it's, you know, creating uh, littoral zones or buffers around waterways, or if it is creating pollinator gardens or just planting trees, all of that is a direct thing that everybody can take action on. And I hope that you see from all the different things that we're doing in all these different parts of the world, we really just want to rally together as one humankind, um, working together to do what we can and to, you know, feel empowered instead of feeling sometimes how I feel is powerless. When you hear of all these really big environmental problems happening in the world, you know, all we can do is what we can do within our communities. And that's something that we're trying to lead with ideas for us.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And there's, and and kind of to that last point there, you know, it, it it doesn't necessarily, or as far as feeling, um, powerless of that on that side of things, you know, with obviously so much going on, you know, the, the reality is even even the smallest steps or the biggest steps will create a ripple to make that bigger change. So you got to kind of have that that mindset and that perspective there. And there's, I mean, so many different important layers that you just kind of covered, you know from, from a cultural standpoint, uh like I said in, in Nepal, uh, you know, with those kinds of things. Um you know, I think the education aspect is really interesting, too, because I was actually just talking to somebody um, or a, a guest the other day that was also kind of talking about uh, planting and doing that kind of stuff where, you know, the school's giving the opportunity for these kids to get involved and learn that side of things rather than necessarily in the books, you know, some some students, some kids, some individuals, you know, they do better with books and some do better, you know, getting their hands dirty and doing something where it's still making a, you know, a positive impact on the world. So kind of, you know, being able to kind of shift that mindset that, you know, not everybody has to be a create their own app or, you know, all the you know, all the hot, the hot buzz stuff. You know, you don't have to go to school to do that. You can you can still do these these simple things and it's just as good and just as beneficial for the world. Mm-hmm. So so with you know like I said all all those different layers you know if whether it's working with schools or working with cultures or national governments or international governments or whatnot like that like what are some of those steps as far as um, getting some of those projects off the ground I guess like the challenges and maybe there's like a specific one or not because I know like I said you mentioned a bunch but you know especially the ones that are you know, whether that's a a local community, that's community that's been kind of set in their ways for so long. And then you, you bring the kind of this, this new innovative idea and they're like, well, why would I change my yard to that now? Or the same thing, maybe it's a, a governmental issue or just a huge cultural kind of mindset that's been there forever. How, how do you kind of work with them where, you know, there's not a lot of pushback and you can find kind of that middle ground where you all are on the same page, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Um, So surprisingly, we don't have a lot of pushback. And I think that's because um, times are really changing, especially, you know, when we start starting with the conversation of like America and our, um, you know, need for things to be more natural and to be more organic, like those trends are already happening. So when we started fleet farming, it was because of a landscaping ordinance that was just passed at that time um, that allowed um, people living within the city of Orlando to grow um, up to 60% of their front lawns with edible plants. And so we kind of came into it when there was that gate that opened up for us. And, um, we actually started a a part of our our program where we did lawn donations, where we opened it up and we said, anybody want us to come and farm their lawn for free and we will take care of everything. We just need more, you know, agricultural land in this neighborhood. And when we opened it up, I kid you not, we had thousands and thousands of inquiries from all across the world um, because that was shared on NBC Nightly News and um, NPR, All Things Considered, and now this, and we were in um, magazines and we went viral with that concept. Um, even though we didn't create it, this is something that, you know, a lot of communities are, are doing backyard farms. And, and we were inspired um, by uh, Curtis Stone, the urban farmer, but we went viral with this. And um, we saw that there was such a need, an overwhelming need. Um, we had calls from New Zealand, I'm still friends with uh, somebody from one of those calls, <laughs> and um, just so many different countries. And so, um, when you know talking now about like our international branches um the more the most widely accepted project is tree plantings um it doesn't really take a lot for those communities to understand that it's necessary and wanted and needed it helps with you know um uh, the heat island effect and um we're um urbanized areas. It helps with biodiversity. It helps with having um, different types of resources long-term. So um, that is widely accepted. Um, Some of the other things like, you know, our solar energy projects, there are, there is still a a population of people who don't believe in solar energy. They don't think that it's as, um, uh, you know, they, they don't like it as much as uh, non-renewable energies, which I'm still trying to understand <laughs> that thought process. That, that's the only real pushback about the type of project. Um, shoreline restorations, um, that takes a little bit of education. Once we can tell um, our donors or our um, the businesses that we work with why the need is there, they see that it's an aesthetic change. It'll make it look more beautiful. There'll be more flowers. Um, And the upkeep on native plants is less, you know, less uh, upkeep than ornamentals and and things like that a lot of the time. Um, So I guess the main thing is um, funding that we are continuing to learn um, how to um, provide to our projects. We had a really great year last year, a really great year. Um, I think last year was the year that we, we made it the most accessible for our donors to see what we have um, almost like a menu of all of our different projects with different prices and descriptions and impact. And they could kind of flip through it and see what, they, what spoke to their brand and what they wanted to work with. And I feel like that change and the accessibility of, hey, here's everything we wanna do for the year, that allowed some donors to say, oh, I'll, I'll fund all of that. Or some donors to say, "Oh, this is my the project that we really want to, you know, put our name on, and we really want to support." And um, then that gave us, you know, a clear idea of which which projects needed direct grant funding and which ones we should grant write for versus talking to partners and, and um, donors that we already had in our on our loop that we had proven through past projects or through conversations that they could trust us and that we are going to use the funds to do something amazing. So um, this year, um, I think that we're just trying to continue that that optimism and that positivity that, you know, these projects are needed and the communities are in agreeance that these things need to happen you know it's kind of hard to fight the, the concept of native landscaping when and that's literally what was there before humans were there yeah. right and it's easier to maintain and there's just so many um you know reasons why if, if it has to be because of um uh fauna that people love that they'll be able to see then you know that's that's the benefit for them but um yeah we're just trying to get um bigger projects with more funding to have more impact and, um, just working our way to, to that point.
1: That's awesome. And so the, you all making it more accessible for different, uh, organizations or partners or whatever, and kind of laying that all out for them. Obviously that sounds like that has a huge effect. Um, do so do you, and I, I always kind of hate asking this question. Um, mm-hmm not to make light of the current COVID situation, but obviously when that first, the first shutdown happened and all that stuff, I mean, a lot of, it seemed to me a lot of people that I know personally, or uh, even once things kind of started getting back to normal um, that I talked to, they'd say, Oh yeah, you know, we started going outside again and started doing this. So do you think, do you think that could have maybe had, a positive yes. effect as well as that, because maybe those people in those organizations were like, "Hey, you know, it, now I'm taking daily walks because I w- work from home, or you know, whatever that might be." Do you think that might have had like a, a slight shift in mindset?
0: One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I think people, like you said, were home more, so they looked to their backyards and they wanted to grow more food. Mm-hmm. We that's proven. We definitely saw that, um, and like you said since they're home more, they're walking around their neighborhoods, they need to get out of their home office. So just noticing more things. And and I feel like as a, as a human race, we just, we seek beauty and nature. And um, without the as much hustle and bustle of daily life, like it was before, um, I think people, like you said, had a time to just step back and to see that, like, hey, these are things that are happening right near me that It could be better um and even as an organization you know we have um you know a couple of offices and we were you know going there every day and from the the shift from um you know the pandemic we started to allow staff to work from home and that saves a lot on gas you know um that also saves a lot of time um from going from meeting to meeting to meeting. Like I can have way more meetings within a day because I'm at home and I'm not spending that that gas and time and buying food. I I'm growing food at home and I'm, you know, being uh, more conscious with going to the farmer's market because I'm at home more. And uh, I think that a lot of businesses had had that switch. And um, even, you know, survival of nonprofits during that time, if you talk to anybody about it, it was really hard it was really hard to survive when you can't have in-person programming. Like even outside programming, we stopped at when the, the pandemic started and it was really bad. We didn't even do, you know, farming outside. Um, and, uh, you know, I personally, uh, went on, uh, unemployment for a long time, um, and just switched to volunteering. And, uh, because of assistance that, you know, um, American nonprofits have in um, the PPP. And when we you know, turned back on in a sense, we had programming that was mainly outside. So that was more accessible to people. We were wearing masks and we were being safe. But um, because of that all, I think that's somewhat of the brighter side of um, our 2021 year is that we ended up having a really good year because I think people really believed in what we were doing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. You know, I, the the whole situation in itself. You know, I don't want to ever say that anything uh, that it was a good situation, but if there's one one positive thing to come out of it, I think it's definitely kind of people reconnecting with the nature. Like you said, a lot of people understood how bad different nonprofits that were doing good were struggling, and then that maybe inspired them to be able to help them again when they could, and kind of just kind of shift their their whole perspective. So. It's uh it's interesting kind of here that 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 you all experience sort of that same effect, um, like we did here in Missouri in that case. So um, so I also saw on the on the website, of course, like I said, or given our past conversation that might have changed a little bit. Um, but you all do some obviously you already mentioned education with the schools and that kind of stuff but I read online that you also have uh, like a summer camp, I guess, for kids that mm-hmm. kind of, I'm sure gets them involved. So, so let's talk about that a little bit. Like, what do you all do? What does that look like?
0: Yeah. Uh, all that so good stuff. I feel like I've been preparing, been preparing to run a summer camp, like my whole life, <laughs> my mom's, um, a kid, she's been a kindergarten teacher. She she never took off work to have four kids besides uh, maternity leave. Like, so I've, I grew up with this, um, Uh, you know, inspiring mother who was an educator. And um, so uh, starting the education program at nearly Gardens, I was like, this is what I like to do. And um, through that and through different programs that I've helped to make um, in 2020, before the pandemic, I made a summer camp. And uh, of course, it got canceled. And then um, in 2021, um, uh, we started the summer camp and um, people were still really wary of COVID in um, summer of 2021, Um, but we offered it for a small group uh, of uh, a church that wanted to have like a educational program, and uh, it went really well, and so this year we have um, our program starting up. It's going to be the last two weeks of July. One week is going to be for kindergarten through second grade and then the second week is going to be third grade through fifth grade and what why i'm obsessed with it is because you know giving my my past self what i wish i had you know and so every day it's going to be focusing on one of our focus areas um the first day is going to be energy we're going to have um not to be a spoiler alert but we're going to have um um, some different energy projects. We're going to you know, make the room um, super dark and then set up some like uh, little things throughout the room that have to do with being lit by solar energy. And um, we're going to do uh, the second day on water and water conservation. We're going to talk about the oceans. We're going to have fun games. The third day is going to be food. Um, at the location that we're having the summer camp, we have a farm and we have um, different micro farms throughout the neighborhood. So they're going to directly be involved with that. Um, Day four is waste. So different types of um, games regarding um, what goes where and waste on a global level and, um, you know, waste islands and things like that. And then the fifth day is going to be ecology, um, diving into different habitats. So when the child uh, exits the summer camp um, from K through five, uh, fifth grade, they're going to be able to know plant identification, animal identification and facts. They're gonna be able to know about habitats. They're gonna know about what local waterways are in their area and how we can protect them. They're gonna learn about um, waste and how they can compost and how they can teach other people about recycling. They're gonna know about uh, food, how to grow food. They're going to have different plants to take home. They're going to know how to propagate in kindergarten. Um, so these are all the things that get me really excited and, um, feel, you know, really fulfilled in in what we're doing. And, um, it's called save the planet summer camp.
1: That's awesome. That sounds like an awesome experience. And, um, it sounds like the way that, that you've laid it out and kind of planned it. That's going to be, you know, really fun, fun for them as well. Um, to be able to do that and kind of take those new skills. And obviously, you know, as, as their growing minds, you know, continue on, you know, they'll, they'll be able to kind of share that with their friends and kind of create, you know, a, a ripple effect, if you will. So that's mm-hmm. awesome. So I, I know we talked about a bunch of different, um, different ways that ideas for us is, is making impact, whether in Florida or in Africa somewhere or everywhere else, but for someone that's, um, that you know i guess in their own home and maybe they they don't have something similar like this or are just now hearing about your your program and all that stuff what what i guess would be in a piece of advice for them as far as like the simplest way for them to kind of get into into that whether that's doing something with their home or working with an organization or finding a larger community project how i guess what is that piece of advice that would that would help them kind of make those steps where it doesn't seem maybe so daunting.
0: Yeah. So what I would say, and I'm, you know, of the creator mindset is that, you know, if you don't see something that's in your community to make it. So for instance, you know, if you have a local Sierra club or if you have a local environmental nonprofit that already has um, or even business that um, already has like their licenses, um, you can propose to them and maybe a, you know, aesthetically pleasing PowerPoint or proposal, however you want them to help visualize what you want to do and how you want to do it. And um, I think that's the quickest way is to join a group and to kind of, um, help to run a new project or new program within their group. Um, I have a lot of people that reach out to me about starting um, their own nonprofit, and yes, you can do that. And yes, it takes some funds to do so. And yes, it is a little bit of an overwhelming um, process. So I, I would say to try to start something um, within a group that is it's already there, um, or if you don't want to start like a traditional like pro like program um or business or service um just to get a group of people together maybe you have a group called you know um we we had a, a group idea like uh uh eco-friendly friends or some 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 sort of group that you can create that has like-minded people coming together just like in the hive talking about an issue that is relevant in their community and talking about Solutions and problem solving about how we can fix that. Is there, uh, you know, if, do you live in a place where there's like a, a big uh, bread factory and they might want to fund something that's a community project um, to help, you know, promote their brand? Or like, what are the different resources that you have and the different funders, businesses, corporations, um, even, you know, putting a, a Facebook? Um, uh, what's it called? a Facebook fundraiser together. Um, so it could be funded by the people that we want to see trees planted in the spot that has been grass for so long. We want to plant these trees again. Um, so it really is just um, problem solving and coming together and, and and figuring out different ways of doing so. You can always reach out to me and um, we can talk about things. Um, you can email me at contact at ideas forus.org um, We have branches in Orlando, um, the Tampa Bay area, including St. Pete, um, on the UCF campus in Florida. We have it in um, Nepal, Uganda, Guinea, um, uh, Ghana, um, you can see on our website, Romania, different places that we have branches already. And if you would like to start a branch of ideas for us, um, we can talk about how um, we would get it started and fundraising. We would need a, a an amount of fundraising beforehand just to make sure that we would have enough funds for a year's worth of projects in your area. Um, but yeah, there's the power of the people and there's the internet. And there's yeah. so much we can do with that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So really, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't take no for an answer, get creative, use your community and, and your different connections that way. And, and to that point, I know you just mentioned your email, but, um, where, where else can people or, or what is, what is the website, social media, kind of all that stuff as well for people to follow and, and like I so said, kind of dive, dive deeper into what you're offering, get some inspiration or see if they can you know, create their own hive themselves.
0: Yeah, so please check us out at www.ideasforus.org. Um, you can also check us out at fleetfarming.org um, on Instagram. We're at fleetfarming on ideas. Um, we have a, a, a handle for every single branch that we have, so you could see locationally what what we have, um, including at ideasforus.global and at ideasforus.orlando. Orlando Orlando is our most active branch. Um, And uh, we're also on Facebook. Facebook is where we have all of our events. They're all open to the public. We wanna see you, we wanna plant trees with you. And um, even if you live within one of the areas that we already serve, we would love to hear project ideas that you have and um, problem solve and figure out how to do them. So um, you can always reach out to us. Um, You can contact us um, through the contact link on both websites read our blogs. Um, really, if you can, um, support, follow, like what we're doing, and it helps us to be seen online. Um, and we also have a YouTube for Fleet Farming, and we have a YouTube for ideas for us. And so um, you could see literally what we do. And um, yeah.
1: That's awesome. Well, as you all can tell, there's a lot of content in there they have, um, and a lot of uh, like, like, you know, we've been having this whole conversation, a lot of inspiration. So definitely check it out, dive deeper into some of those programs, um, get some ideas for, for your own area. If you're not close or, you know, if you are close to one of them, definitely get involved. Um, but I appreciate, you know, you taking your time today to, you know, share your story. That's that started with a, with a simple bike ride all the way to, you know, the impact that you're making today. So I definitely, uh, you know, you said 2021 was good for y'all. So I wish the best for you in this year as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.